0: Hello, everyone. This is Schwab Khan here at Anti Small Talk, and today is our eighth episode in our conversations about inequality podcast series. Over the past six or seven podcasts, we've been looking at inequalities using very much an intersectional design, considering the dynamics of social class, age, gender, ethnicity, religion, disability, sexuality as all interlinking dynamics which impact on individuals and their lived experience. Here in Britain. Today I'm delighted to announce that we have Becky Bainbridge joining us, a fantastic guest, and we're hoping to have a, a conversation about uh, elements of social class, the charity sector, and hopefully uh, some music in there as well. Hello, Becky, and welcome to Anti Small Talk. Hello there. Okay, myself and Becky started a conversation really basically the archives of social media. Then we had a Zoom and we decided to to do a podcast. She's interested in social class. I won't go too much into her area of expertise. Uh, So Becky, for our audience, who is Becky Bainbridge? Who are you?
1: Well, (laughs) I am, so usually I'll say, well, I am old and ginger and originally from Yorkshire and now live in Bolton. Um, but probably the most important thing is um, I would class myself as an activist. Mm. So, like, super passionate about um, social justice, super passionate about um, the the different inequalities that existed in, in UK society and globally, actually. Um, but it has taken me until I've reached my 40s to be confident and comfortable enough to say that those are the things that I'm passionate about and confident enough to say that I'm an activist. Because when you're younger and you and you're challenging stuff, quite often you just get called oversensitive.
0: Snowflake.
1: Snowflake. Yeah, that's that's always a
0: great one. Yeah, um, we're sat here eating our you know sourdough bread and you know smashed yeah. avocado.
1: That's right. <laughs> <You got laughs> yeah, decaffeinated fruit tea. Uh, you know, oh, like. Honestly. Honestly, no. Give me a glass of iron brew and uh, and spaghetti on toast, and I'm I'm absolutely I like fine. Iron
0: brew, iron brew is, is is the is the drink of the north, I think. Yeah, I I, I you know I think people inject that injective into their veins. They do. Some people up north, especially in Scotland, I think. You know, I think
1: it's. I think uh, I I think I would if I knew how to do that. I think I probably would. I do love iron brew.
0: Iron brew uh, jam. Wouldn't that be wicked like, on your toast? Iron brew jam
1: need to make that I have got iron brew lip balm one of my friends wow. because I'm so obsessed with it bought me some iron brew lip balm
0: it's the way yeah. forward. I'm telling you anyone listening out there please like signpost us towards iron brew like <laughs> products anything with iron brew anything. Just, yeah like, so, Anything. anything you name me am iron brew Imagine smelling like iron brew all the time that would be strange but... I think
1: well I think I probably do to be honest but um yeah
0: <laughs> I am mean.
1: um, So yeah. <laughs> I am brew. I love Iron Brew. I've got orange hair that matches Iron Brew. Um but yeah, I am a an activist. Um and I work in the charity sector.
0: Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. So uh Becky, where does your passion for equity, e- equality and social justice come from?
1: So I know this is going to sound really kind of quite cliche, but I think it's it's just part of who I am. I don't remember a time where I wasn't challenging something to do with inequality or to do with justice. I remember um, being at school um, and back in back in the day. I don't know what it's like nowadays, but back in the day for your English GCSE you had to do um, an oral presentation and I chose to do mine on the topic of fox hunting.
0: Wow, um, that's so, right now, isn't it, as well, yeah? Yeah, 30, yeah, yeah. 30,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, you know, everybody else was doing things like, you know, football or, I don't know, knitting or whatever and I'm there all militant about fox hunting, so I've always had that desire in me to a friend of mine once once kind of described it as I am the champion of the underdog um and I I like that I like where he was coming from with that but that, to me, there
0: shouldn't be an underdog. Absolutely, so. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I think a lot of people we speak to on this podcast series, the conversations about inequality, is embedded really early in the upbringing. For me, it was basically at birth, you know, grandparents were both uh, trade unionists, you know, um, kind of saw um, socialism as a path for me very early, and uh, I still believe it's the way forward. Um, if we could be socialist with banks, why can't we be socialist with feeding the poor? That's mm-hmm.
1: my opinion. Conversely though, that wasn't my upbringing, so even though I am from um, a post-industrial town in Yorkshire, so I'm from Huddersfield, um, which interestingly did produce a Prime Minister, um, the household in which I grew up, even though we were working class, we we, we were a Tory working class family so my parents always voted conservative my parents always thought that i'm saying they thought i'm assuming they thought because obviously you know i can't speak for them but i assume that that they saw that as a kind of aspirational model um so yeah they i don't think they were particularly socialist in in my household and i did always feel a little bit different with my views and i i really do feel different with my views now because as an adult obviously you feel um you feel greater freedom to express those views absolutely um and it's very very obvious um that i am polar opposite in terms of, of things like brexit and particular political views um so yeah it's interesting that out of uh what you know what was probably a traditionally conservative household um has been born this slightly radical socialist activist.
0: I think, you know, you'd be surprised how many friends I have from university who grew up in very much conservative, Tory, you know, parts of the UK, down south, Guildford and places like that, places I've never been mm. to, Oxfordshire and, you know, Chapelton and I don't know where else. I'm trying to make up some names here. And they've, grown up in these, <laughs> <laughs> they've grown up in these very much, like you know, Tory, you know, strongholds and they go to university and they meet people like me. I'm not saying that I'm politicising them, but when they meet people like me from a different background, different cultures, and different experiences, their opinions change massively. And ultimately, what my view is on 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 you know political ideas is that we need to have a fair and just society, which is also reflected in politics as well. There needs to be a yeah. sense of accountability, but we don't seem to have that at the minute. And you know, my my political opinions are very much the idea that you know there should be opposing arguments and debates and discussions etc but no one should be dismissed like if someone's idea about an equal society is you know relevant and necessary like marcus rashford people are saying to focus on the pitch but he's doing something he shouldn't have to do in the sixth richest country in the world he shouldn't have to do it so god bless the boy the fact that he's doing it you know we should be proud of him for it so absolutely um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Becky, so where does your sort of like, where, so you work in the charity sector, you'd like to yeah. shed some light on that. Also, what does the charity sector do in terms of promoting equity and equality? Um, I've held several jobs in the charity sector, worked in Age Concern, um, also worked in Bernardo's for a little while as a volunteer. I could see what we were doing, but you're at the very, you're, I suppose you're more the stakeholder sort of position, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I think... Um... <sighs> it's difficult i think the charity sector is going through a transformation at the moment i think you know um the fact that covid has really really highlighted the inequalities that exist in uk society and then obviously with um the blm movement and with the the highlighting of particularly of uh, racial inequality in this country i think that the charity sector has lots of work to do in terms of addressing those issues on behalf of their beneficiaries in behalf of their service users etc but the charity sector has a lot to do in terms of looking back at itself and leading by example um, we are a sector that you know by rights is the most right, righteous um sector or industry um, to, to work, in, we we're there to, to plug gaps. We're there to address inequality. We're there to support people. Yet we run organisations um, sometimes without the reflective practice that's needed to make sure that that what we're doing adequately serves those communities, and also we're addressing those inequalities as they exist in our organisations. So I think at the moment, I think there's a lot of realisation around that. I think definitely, and in particular, um, the racial inequality that's been highlighted in this country is really making charity leaders think about how they operate, Mm. how they recruit, how they retain people, how they make people feel welcome. And just about leveling a playing field that actually isn't as as level as it should be in this absolutely. particular
0: sector absolutely absolutely correct i think any hierarch- any hierarchical organization has its own stratification and sort of differentiation in between hasn't it so you have people at the top you know earning X salaries and then ceos you know the bigger stakeholders and below that you've got people who work at the very shop level and cleaners so there is that differentiation i think it's about providing people with lived experience of inequalities you know, people who are from BAME backgrounds, people are disabled, LGBTQ plus community, people from those communities, are well, providing them with an opportunity to work in the voluntary sector and, and charity sector and really empowering them through their lived experience.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and the charity I work at the moment, B Claim, um, we are predominantly from working class backgrounds. So we are a charity that works with working class young people and that's really important. So our CEO is from working class background, Um, myself and um, the other member of SLT, Chris, both working class backgrounds and the majority of our staff are. And that's always been really, really important to us that we can, we, have those experiences to be able to relate to our young people, but also that our young people can then relate to us as well.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And myself and Ahmed had a conversation along about Pakistani Muslim educators, Pakistani British educators, how being part of a community and people realizing a part that you can't break away from, that, you can't detach from that. It's something you're inborn. It's I think social class is a strange one as well. Cause if we're talking about social class, it's tacit. It's written on our bodies. It's written. People realize it from a certain class without actually speaking to you, and so Sociologist Pierre Bourdieu talks about the cultural capital, the idea of you know tacit knowledge being passed on through simple conversations and dialogues, and it's, it's I think social class as a as a, as a differentiating sort of a stratify, stratifying sort of inequality. It cuts right across all inequalities, doesn't it? So um, I think you're absolutely right. You know, having that sort of attachment to the community that you belong to is, is imperative. Otherwise, you know, Audrey says it all about having that authenticity. Once you lose authentic voices from platforms, you know, those platforms become redundant.
1: And a lot of inequality is driven by the fact that there is a lack of empathy and understanding.
0: Absolutely. Uh, the, the, you
1: know, the, there can be all the goodwill in the world. they can be all, you know, the best intentions and the well-meaning in the world. But if you haven't got the lived experience to be able to, to properly understand what somebody is going through, the challenges that they face, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then you can't address that problem for them and unfortunately i think you know that is what what drives pretty much all of the inequalities that, that sit in this country is that we have groups of people making decisions that will affect people that they know nothing about the lives of
0: absolutely famous uh, criminologist jack cat says um i graciously envy those who can transport themselves intellectual worlds have never inhabited before so the idea there's Politicians, political personnel, policymakers, even teachers who make these overriding decisions without addressing the context of where they're from. It's all oh, everyone yeah. was working at a school not long ago. The school was predominantly British Muslim. They ordered some crisps and some drinks and some jelly. The jelly had gelatin in it and the crisps oh, had no. pork extract in it. The head didn't know what to say. And I said to him, Why didn't you just ask me? He goes, Oh, you know, I didn't want to just run it by just one teacher. But the kids are like me. They we're from the same background. You could have just asked me, wouldn't it, Matt? Oh, we've got all this wasted. Now i got you take it home. I'm not having it. Yeah.
1: And it, it is, we waste so much time, energy and resource just because we never asked the right person absolutely, absolutely. in the first place.
0: We do ask, we expect that person to answer all the questions as being the one universal spokesperson. <laughs> like, people Shre- have asked me, Shweb, you know, Shweb, what do you think about Donald Trump? I don't think about him. I don't spend time in the shower or alone. Anyway, I don't know why I mentioned the shower, but I just don't I mean, spend time thinking about him. I just don't no. have that. It's, it's bizarre. It's almost like when, it, when a, a global event happens. Shweb, what's your opinion? What's your opinion? I always yeah. try and switch it back on people, but you're right. It, it, it's a taboo. We need to be asking people things, but in a, in a, in a dull-eyed, curious way, not in a tokenistic way.
1: Absolutely, and not in a kind of um, transactional way. Yep. In a, I need this from you. Give it me now, kind of way. No, yep. actually, ask me because you're interested, Absolutely. because you want to learn, and because you won't have to ask that question the next time.
0: Absolutely. Because. You and that him. knowledge will lead to action, won't it? That's what we're looking Absolutely. for. Absolutely. we're really looking for. I like to think Absolutely. if you're speaking to someone about something and they're genuinely interested, they're going to take that on board and you know reflect on it rather than have it as a piece of knowledge or a tick box for themselves. Oh yeah, I've I've achieved cultural sensitivity training because I asked Shrev about <laughs> samosas, something like that. You know, I, I don't know anything about samosas. I don't know how to make them, so I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry to listeners out there. I can't uh, I can't cater for weddings and stuff, but might um, to you learn.
1: might get some you might get some trolling now.
0: Oh, it's gonna happen anyway. So yeah, from the same, <laughs> from the same old people. Um, uh-huh.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Same old people. Yeah. Same old people. Yes. Um, <laughs> so Becky, classism. Okay, what is classism, and what are your experiences of it? Because I've experienced racism. I've experienced. Um, racism um racism, I suppose is the most potent thing Islamophobia, I suppose is was a strand of racism, but classism is a very different veneer, is it isn't it completely
1: it is and that you know going back to what you said earlier, it cuts through everything, it cuts through everything um you know I think one of the biggest myths about particularly about social classes is that there's there's one stereotype of that of that class. so for example working class usually depicted or um spoken about as white working class mm. usually northern usually wearing flat caps and with a whippet that kind of thing um is the narrative that that comes about um that in itself is classism you know building those those stereotypes when in reality you know we are all different colors we're all uh different heritages we may be um we may have a disability. We may not have a disability. You know, everybody, everybody in um, in the working class is is very different. And also, I'd say the experience of working class people is very different. Um, I've t- touched upon my background. I grew up. Um, I grew up in Huddersfield, which, you know, it's it's beautiful. It's picturesque. Uh, it's rolling hills and sheep. There's not a lot there, though um you know in terms of employment everybody on my street pretty much worked um at the tractor um the tractor manufacturer down the road david brown tractors in case anybody is interested best tractors Ooh. in the world
0: um we'll leave a link in the bio but you know
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but i think for me growing up in in, in that um in that village in that town etc my mom and dad always did their best for me I think that's another misconception is that you know parents in working class families somehow are lazy are not good at parenting etc. Nah that's a myth Um, my parents did absolutely the best for for me and my sisters we went to a a decent school Um, but that doesn't mean that we weren't working class Um, you know I I remember as a child not being able to have uh, much we didn't have much financially my parents certainly didn't mix in circles with lawyers and doctors etc um I didn't go to university because in the end really I couldn't afford to um so you know I think first off let's let's dispel this myth of of what working class looks like
0: mm.
1: unfortunately though that's how um, it can sometimes be taken into things like the workplace, um, higher education, etc. Classism, in my opinion, can be based on something as simple as a postcode. I know people who have yes. um, have have taken their postcode off of their CV or, ch- or ch- deliberately changed their postcode on a CV so that they're not judged in that first in that first sift when an, an application goes in awful mm. and then once you get in into the workplace and you've got your foot through that door classism can be so covert in terms of conversations
0: language you, words yeah. and phrases. yes yes
1: you know mm. even like not a uniform but a fashion <laughs> um yes. you know you know that you don't fit the same mould as everybody else because you're not wearing that type of shoe or those type of jeans or whatever. You're in the staff room and everyone's talking about where they're going skiing in in February half term. And you haven't got that experience to draw on. And, you know, again, referring to to what you mentioned earlier in terms of cultural capital, that's massive when... When you're in a workplace, in a work situation, or as I say, particularly in higher education, I think it then becomes quite obvious if you're working class and you're in what is deemed to be a middle class kind of profession. I think it becomes so much more obvious when you are out there in the workplace, just due to the, these little these little things that happen
0: absolute little nuggets of like you belong here you belong there that sort of thing mm. and I remember when I first got when I first got a job at um uh care home not to mention the name I got a job at a care home and uh, I was in the admin office and everyone was wearing Doc Martins I remember and I saved up my money for weeks and weeks on end and summertime was arriving I, I, I walked into the um, office with Doc Martins on and everyone else was wearing those I don't know what they're called those weird shoes the ones you wear those little, those ankle socks with and whatnot I don't know what they're called um I don't know what they're called. I know the name slipped my mind, but it is the small, tacit things, and they build up. And it's that otherness, that differentiation. And I remember I was reading Bourdieu not long ago, and he was talking about how prehistorically, you know, um, obesity was uh, an illness of the of the most affluent. They could eat the best, etc. Once food became mass produced, and working class people can afford, you know, the mass produced food. It switched completely. So being slim became a middle class veneer, and being obese was a working class veneer. And we've got to wipe this Vicky Pollard idea out of our head of working class people. And I think that the media perpetuates it. And you get things like um, you get things like Little Britain. I know it's no longer on TV. Even EastEnders, you can see you know the differentiation in, in, in how. The, the settings they're looking to, 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 to create and, and, and the representation looking to create working class people. And it's, again, it's, it's very much poverty porn and blaming people for their position, which is we're going to talk about in a second as well. And constantly that flip between structure and agency. So saying the organisation of society is not our fault. It's not our fault. There's not equality of opportunity. It's your fault because you spend money on cigarettes rather than on books.
1: Yeah.
0: It's the whole distinction. And it's perpetuated by, you know, uh, not that I read these rags, but you know, Daily Mail and and and, and things like that, which you know really push that that uh, argument forward repetitively. And this is why we've got such you know issues with food banks and the whole idea of deserving poor and undeserving poor, universal credit. People like you know Ian Duncan Smith's going to be knighted apparently as well, which you know fills me with dread. You know that's um, yeah, it's frightening, isn't it? Frightening.
1: It. I just. I can't believe in the forty-four years that I've been on this planet, that same narrative is still is still used and used so freely in our society and nothing has changed in terms of that narrative. And we seem to be okay with just blaming people for the situations in which they might find themselves without any any accountability, any responsibility taken for the influencing factors that that will bear have some bearing on how their life has turned out. Mm. I just, I, yeah, I find it, I find it really appalling. And I was at, um, I was at a conference a couple of years ago. Um, and again, it just, it, this example really spoke to me about how we need diversity in our workforces. Um, I was at this um, conference and a chap from the BBC seemed a lovely chap. He got up to talk about representation of diversity in children's television. And luckily for me, somebody had already put their hands up and asked about working class, um, you know, how are how the working class um, depicted in, in your programming. And this chap said, with absolutely no... <laughs> with with no kind of hesitation, said, well, we did go to some working-class people's houses, but they had tidied up, so it didn't look like it, we were in working-class houses.
0: That's just classism within it itself, isn't it, right there?
1: In a room full, mm. honestly, Shweb, in a room full of, like, probably about... There must have been about a 1,000 people in that room, had no hesitation and no kind of shame... Mm. In in trotting that line out because because he didn't know any different because the narrative is just constantly perpetually there it's around us it's the air we breathe so people just think that that's the case
0: absolutely it's accepted it's become normalised and if you look at yeah. how COVID has panned out as well Becky everyone's been blamed the experts blame people BLM VE well they didn't blame that but you know what I mean they blame people at beaches COVID idiots they're blaming care homes they're blaming people that are obese. They will not blame inequalities. They will not blame structural inequalities. They'll blame experts. They'll blame teachers. They'll blame postman Pat if they can. They will not blame inequalities. It's astounding.
1: I'd like to see them try and blame postman Pat.
0: You never know. Um, It might have been through a parcel passed on COVID or something. I don't know.
1: Potentially not not done the old hand sanitizer thing.
0: Is postman Um, Pat gender neutral, by the way? Because it could be Patricia. Could be never know. Could be. That's a different discussion no. for a different podcast.
1: Yeah, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is. You're absolutely right. I just, I can't, I, I can't get my head around the fact that we're so willing to blame people mm. and not and not environment.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking at individuals rather than structures in the, right, looking at things that instead of looking at the structures that make them vulnerable, we pick out their vulnerabilities. It's it's, uh, it's a, again, it links back to this, you know, we can go back in you know, 30, 40 years when Maggie Thatcher was around and Regan was around this Reganism, this Thatcherism, you know, this idea that every man and his dog can achieve anything regardless. And there's no such thing as society and safety nets shouldn't exist. So the welfare state gets pulled back more and more. But we're paying taxes. We keep paying taxes into a system which is not providing, you know, the most vulnerable support. And, you know, you judge, you judge a society on, on, on two real things, don't you? Have it, how it treats the elderly, how it treats young people. Young people, you know, they've uh, faced the brunt of austerity and elderly people. Just look how badly the care homes have been handled. You know, that protective mm-hmm. of the care homes, eh? Yeah, nice one. Really worked, yeah. it? Yeah. I
1: mean, and again, that, that, that whole narrative of... Um, Oh well, they had an underlying health cause, mm. so what
0: mm. <laughs> no other Just country has used that no other country no, has used that no. even even America, you know, to be fair to them you know they it's run by um, it's run by someone, but yeah they've not used that they've not used that narrative whereas in britain we 're fixated on this this neoliberal narrative that individuals are to blame, not structures
1: absolutely yeah well it's a shame that you've got COVID, but because you had diabetes because you're overweight etc it's your fault that you've done di-
0: what it's not their fault they They're... haven't got a co-op in the local area and they have to go to you know iceland and buy uh, frozen food it's not their fault they don't have enough money to you know uh, go to the gym and, and they have to uh, do other things other things to pass time it's it's so frustrating that people are, and this is when you need things like sociology to be embedded in the curriculum, politics absolutely. to be embedded in the curriculum. You know, learning maths and English is wonderful. You know, I, I, you know I, can't, I can't even take that away, but the critical analysis skills, trying to get children to be empathetic. We've been calling for it for years as educators, and, and this is my mm-hmm. 50th year of teaching. I've still not seen a universal movement to embed empathy. And it does boil back to empathy, doesn't it? Mm,
1: absolutely. If we understood each other's lives better... Mm. You know, we we would go some way to, to living a bit more harmoniously and hopefully treating people in a, in a fairer manner. And you're absolutely right. Society, the marker of, of society should be about how we treat our most vulnerable. And to me, COVID has just genuinely laid that bare heat. It's laid it for everybody to see now. Mm. just how unfair the,
0: society is also becky the division between us and them the haves and have nots the polit- politicians policymakers people that are rich and wealthy and everybody else you know if we even look at something slightly controversial you know things like how is it prince william what's his name the queen's son what's his name oh andrew yeah andrew yeah, i don't know I don't, I don't not that i know anything about the royal family him like where is that the universal condemnation of him if he was a working class dude and he groomed a child, it would be, the media would be all over it. They'd be swarming all over it. I'm not saying we should compare cases, but if we're going to condemn, the way I look at it, condemn equally, we'll just be quiet. That's why I think. And we're, even, I don't know, I don't know, what's that girl, was it Shannon Matthews or something? I think her name was, she went missing. Her parents were obliterated. Maddie McCann, it's been 15 years or something since Maddie McCann disappeared. And her parents are awarded with doctorates from universities and they're selling books, it's so entrenched, it's so entrenched, isn't it? It
1: is, it is it's, um, it's really interesting, isn't it? Just how we react to the same the same kind of incidents, I suppose, with different people.
0: Different actors, it depends, yes.
1: It depends where they come from, depends what they look like, depends how they speak, etc., um, and the response is so different, and you know, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's not human nature. Of course, it's human nature. Of course, it's sociology. We are, you know, as human beings, we are designed to differentiate. However, to differentiate to the point where we treat people so inexplicit, inexplici- I can't even say it. Explicitly. Yeah, explicitly <laughs> different. Yeah. Um, it's just. It's, it's mind-boggling
0: mm, it is absolutely i think this leads on really nicely into to our next question so in britain we've got like two sort of cultural ideas we've kind of spoken about as well so we've got one mm-hmm. that i think we kind of spoke about as well it's the idea that individuals and their lifestyle trait or lifestyleism is to blame for poverty then i think we've got the perspective you and i follow which is where we look at the polarization of society and unequal distribution of wealth power opportunities and status Which model, we know which models, you know, outdated and shouldn't be used. Why do you think there's such a asphyxiation on blaming individuals? We kind of spoke about it already, but why is there such a, like, lack of willingness to take responsibility for social inequalities? Is it, are people afraid? You know, are they, you know, are they just blind to inequalities or maybe they've existed for so long it's become white noise and they're just accepting it for what it is? Or do they really believe this? This idea that everyone can achieve regardless of your background, every man, is dog, go to the moon, etc. Sorry, that's that a very loaded question. No, <laughs> no, no,
1: massive question. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to know the answer to this. I really, really would because I don't think my personal view is that that people who have different views to me, who believe that you know meritocracy exists in this country and that everyone has the same life chances i don't for one minute think oh well they're all thick and they're and they're not educated and they don't know and i don't i don't for one minute think that i wonder what it is in my life that that has kind of shaped and molded the way that my thought process is that is different from theirs i wonder what they see their kind of circle of friends, their, mm. their workplaces, etc., that forms the opinions mm. that people are to blame for the inequality, individuals are to blame yeah. for the inequalities that exist in society, rather than looking to the sources of power where those inequalities originate from. Mm. Um, and I've tried, I have genuinely, um, you know... On social media, for example, I won't shy away from people who have polar opposite views to me, because I want to understand wh- why they have come to to those views, those opinions, and I want to find kind of the middle ground, the common ground that says, okay, well, you think this and I think this, but actually, clearly, there is a there is an issue. And we have to work together to find to find a way to solve that issue because we can't keep going. The, the poverty in this country is... Atrocious. It's heartbreaking. It's a it, disgrace. It, oh, it's heartbreaking. How, where are we in the table in, in terms there's, of the richest countries? We're the sixth
0: richest country in the world, and I was reading somewhere that we are... Is it 11th for most unequal distribution? No, 11th in the OECD countries we'll be leaving that eventually when we leave the EU... I think we are sixth richest country in the world, but we are, I think, the probably the first or second most unequal society in Europe.
1: We've got over 14 million people, I think it's probably nearer 15 million people now, who are living in poverty. Mm. And, the, you know, then there's all the myth-busting that you, we need to do around that, because people think... Uh, Poverty equals people on benefits mm. who can't be bothered to work. Yeah. That's generally the the, mm. the kind of consensus around it. Mm. When actually, you know, over half of people in poverty are in a household mm. that has at least one person working Absolutely. in
0: it. Absolutely. And if you look at it, Becky, as well, the income distribution in this country and the way uh, uh, way inflation has risen as well, wages have not gone up with that inflation. So a house is £200,000, but people are still getting paid wages. They, they should have been paid 10 years ago so
1: yeah
0: even with austerity has perpetuated it and this is my argument this is what i can't get my head around okay so furlough schemes ending okay it's ended or it's ending the wonderful magical myth blah blah magic money tree we've been austerity for 10 years we've been saving 12 billion pound a year for the past 10 years 120 billion right there and then where is that money it's not gone towards clearing national debt it's clearly not gone to educate the politicians because they've not got any more intelligent. Where is that money gone? And people are saying, "Oh, you know, they're trying to you know spend their way out of a pandemic." They're not. They're trying. Uh, you know, in, t- in fairness, you know, with things like furlough, they're trying to save people's livelihoods. They're trying to provide people with something, and they've got nothing. So it's that narrative that needs to be- I need mean, to get rid of that narrative, the idea that people are unworthy of help. When did it become a, a perverse and inappropriate thing to ask someone for help? when did we get that bad as a country and as a nation yeah it's it, yeah it's terrifying
1: isn't that it? it is
0: not it its absolutely. terrifying absolutely you can fall on ill health at any time you could be a fit able person a fit able male you know and you could fall ill at any time you could become depressed you can lose your family you now you can go through losses bereavements etc in an instant your life can change and to think that you know, people are peddling this narrative that it's your fault, and you know hard times are just based on you, and you need to dig yourself out of that hole. You know, um, it's, it's very heartless. You know that I find. I think the way we I find when we talk about poverty, I kind of link it that like we talk about grief and loss. We're very cold and reserved with those things, aren't we? We're not. It's almost like the elephant in the room that want to really be woken up.
1: Yeah, we we kind of, and I think it goes back to your point um, around this narrative of is a lot of people find it easier to blame individuals than than structures, I suppose, is that as as a society, are we just superficial? Are we just not willing to dig down? Are we not willing to, you know, we'll say, oh, well, they're in poverty, oh, well, they need to get a job. Well, it's not, it's, it's not about just getting a job. It's about getting a job that pays a decent salary. It's about living in housing that, you know, doesn't take all of your all of your income um, and leave you, leave you with nothing else. You know, housing and, and, and wages would be a really good um, a solution in terms of poverty, but we just focus on, well, no, they need to get a job or they Absolutely. need to get a better
0: job. Absolutely, Well, Absolutely. And how, how many times, know, Becky, have you heard, oh, we need to help our own first? We don't help our own. We don't help our own. Look how many war veterans are lying on the streets homeless we don't oh. help our own. We don't help our own, and helping our own, we don't even do that.
1: That, and I've already started to see it on social media. The, well, uh, the poppies are not going to be out this year because certain sections of our society are against the poppies. Therefore, we can't have poppies. Oh, and, and Christmas. I mean, I know we're not talking specifically yeah. around, around racism here, but the Isn't very it, fact really? that everyone. <laughs> It definitely does, but the very fact that at this moment in time, everybody seems to be up in arms, across the media in particular, about Christmas potentially being cancelled. But where was your outrage when Eid was cancelled the night before?
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Where was your outrage then? Absolutely, absolutely, you're absolutely correct. And I remember not, not too long ago, we had a subway open up here in Peterborough and they were selling halal meat. And the people were so pissed, they were angry, they were they were furious, they were like... They're going to burn down mosques and everything. And that same week, they tripled tuition fees for university. So you're more annoyed about me eating a halal sub than you are about losing your right to a higher education, you idiot. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I felt at the time anyway. And it's about the, the gravity of battles that we pick up and drop. And I think a pillar of privilege and platform is this ability to deep heat and freeze debates based upon what fits our agenda. I could be, for example, go rant about, I don't know, how to make toast, for example. But today, 29 people have died from COVID. So the fact that I am shifting us towards bread and not towards people losing their lives, it suggests how we use our platforms and platforms is privilege. And I think Black Lives Matter has massively taught me that. Hence why, even me, I've decided to navigate away from certain groups and individuals because it becomes an echo chamber and I'm not here to feed egos because other people do that for them anyway.
1: hmm yeah it's it, it is it's it's the sleight of hand isn't it mm. it's the kind of deflection techniques mm. and yeah, again you know i keep mentioning my age but i mention my age because to me i shouldn't have had to get to to my 40s before i started that critical thinking piece that you referred to earlier mm. critical thinking is probably the most important skill a human can have the ability to take a piece of information and say, OK, well, I need to think about that a little bit more. Where has it come from? Is it factual? Mm. How does it relate to this, this and this? And also, why am I giving this piece of information now? Mm. What What is it hiding? Because okay. that's what I look for now. Whenever there's a massive headline to do with anything mm. kind of political, I always think, mm, what, what's getting slipped through mm. the back door there? yep um elsewhere
0: and also yeah. really, also i think becky i think i realize well massively as soon as you're critical and you start looking at things critically you get destroyed you're called a snowflake oh, oh, or yeah. a pancake or whatever you get called nowadays i don't know i've been called all sorts you know cornflakes you name it i've been called it all i remember i was sat on a bench drinking my bespoke fruit smoothie yeah <laughs> it really was really exactly true story i was reading the the, the i newspaper the Independent. And I was, yeah. I was totally in disagreement with it. And, and a fellow walked past and said, oh, snowflakes. And you know what? That idea that I'm not resilient because I'm drinking a fruit smoothie. It was a horrible fruit smoothie. So I was resilient drinking <laughs> it in the first place. It was vile. Oh I'll like, never drink that ever again. It was like, I don't know, like pomegranate and, I don't know, grapes or something weird, some weird combination. I thought I'd be cool, but it worked out. But either way... <laughs> the idea of people saying that your battle is not as worthy as mine, that's the idea of this. this and people are saying people are oh, the woke culture, cancel culture, you know, I, I, you know the, the, the people blocking me, they don't, they don't have an alternative argument. It's not that. I think it's the idea that you're able to manufacture the consent of individuals and pick up a discussion because you want to. And when we want to discuss it critically, you want to condemn us for it?
1: And often shut us down. Yes, and this is this is what you know the the kind of the level of of hypocrisy sometimes. Um, <laughs> I'm learning slowly how to kind of navigate social media um, a bit a bit more. Um, but I often find that those people who are calling me a snowflake and using woke in a bad way, which I'm like, no, I'm proud to be woke. Mm. Do you you do know what woke means, don't you? You do know where it came from. Mm. But um <laughs> they're often the people who want to kind of cancel my questions, shut me down, and 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 will often do it through a narrative of, oh, you you don't agree with me, therefore. Mm. And then in the next tweet, they'll be talking about cancel culture and how the left want to cancel out the right. No, mm. it makes no difference mm. whether I am right leaning or left leaning, or indeed, whether I'm spat round in the centre. In the centre. Uh, my opinion is just as valid as your opinion is. Absolutely. I've given you the right to, to air yours, so now you must give me the right to respond. Mm. It's almost
0: like this view, absolutely correct, it's almost like this worldview that you're a Marxist and you want Robin Hood equality. That's what people assume that I've. I've been called. Oh, you're a revolutionary. You know, you, 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 you're your Engels. You know, you want some sort of like Lenin-esque. You know, robbing, robbing the rich and giving to the poor. No, I don't. Just start taxing Amazon properly, and then maybe we'd be in a better place. <laughs> yeah. You know, we yeah. could feed the poor. Yeah, I mean, the amount of times I've been called
1: Marxist is just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable.
0: I'm um, proud of someone. Call, I like his beard. There you go. I've said it. Uh, He's a cool guy. No, I've said it.
1: Well, you know, each to their own. I'm not a fan of his beard. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, just just this this perpetual name calling. Mm. And I just want to be really clear. I don't use the terms that that perhaps um, have been used to, to call out people who are right-leaning, such as mm. Gammon and things like that. I certainly wouldn't use them kind of in public because to me that's the same as as being called snowflake a marxist etc if i can extend that courtesy in that respect then surely i should Mm. expect to receive the same but for some reason it it, it just isn't extended our way and and to me (laughs) and i know that this is a really ideological way of looking at things to me, my beliefs and my views are solely based in being human. Mm. That's all okay. it's about for me really? if it, you know if we are human, if we are genuinely thinking of our next door neighbor, of the person down the street of of the most vulnerable in society, mm. then then we're doing the right thing, and that's all I'm interested in. Mm. I'm not bothered whether you call me right, left, socialist, Marxist, whatever. I just want society to be fair for all
0: people. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that, again, that comes back to the idea of empathy, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think it really brings us a nice to like, sort of conclusion where we're coming up to now. Um, Black Lives Matter. Mm. It's come, it's gone, it's had its wave. People have ridden the wave. People have gone quiet. People are still speaking. What do you think the legacy of BLM will be for 2020? that's a big question as well
1: it is a big question and it for me it's got two answers mm. and the the two answers are it depends which side of the fence you're on because for somebody such as myself who's really interested and passionate about about equality mm-hmm. for me th- the movement of blm the you know the activity, the action that's come out of of the BLM movement. I watched um I watched a video today, the chief executive of, of um the co-op, he was talking about their manifesto that they have now devised. Regardless of of how they have got to this point, leaders of organisations are taking note they are putting things in place they will make loads of mistakes and i include myself in that i will make loads of mistakes and there are there is no doubt some organisations who will use it as some kind of you know levate to promote themselves or will use um the blm message in a very tokenistic way yep. but we need to concentrate on the people who are doing it properly and who are doing it right who are taking things forward, who are pledging to commit to better uh, practices, better policies, and helping to kind of dismantle that that structural racism. So from that side of the fence, I'm really heartened by that. The other side of the fence is that Ashley Banjo and Diversity's performance
0: on Britain's Got Talent... Is it 21,000 complaints?
1: And counting... 21,000 complaints.
0: Synonymous, isn't it, of how (sighs) lack of progress we're making?
1: That 21,000 people thought that they needed to complain about, I don't know how long it was, perhaps three minutes, Mm. of which there was a very, very small section that covered the George Floyd killing. Mm. That was danced predominantly by a group of black young men who are disproportionately affected I just that's that's where I I get a little bit exasperated and a little bit kind of we take these steps forward and then we're pushed
0: back again absolutely and Becky one thing I find you know me and Audrey talked about Audrey Pantelli spoke about is how these racialized gatekeepers who still to this very day I heard one yesterday on on tv Saying how BLM is a fascist organization, deliberately. I think I the same right, thing. Yes, and uh, um, uh, that person and these people—they—they they will any opportunity to gain sort of like notoriety and fame, validation from white power structures. They will jump at that. And to be honest with you, at one stage maybe I was a gatekeeper, but I've shut the gate and now I've opened the door. I want to have conversations that matter, and it's so frustrating when there's steps forward. And I, I think Malcolm X puts it perfectly. He says, whenever there's uh, any sort of progress, the white power structure will bring a black face forward to validate their opinion. And this is That's what happened. Right they, they, they don't engage with me. Many of them have I've refused to engage with me. I've tried to have you know, dialogues with them. But I don't understand how you can support a system and an ideology which is, doesn't really like you for who you are. So uh, it's unbelievable, and, and you're right. I think there are definitely two sort of elements to BLM. There's the, the legacy, where we are moving forward, and we are trying, and schools are moving forward in a non-tokenistic way. Then you've got the other other aspect of, I think some people are, you know, too stubborn, too resistant, and dare I say, unwilling to challenge their own biases. I think they're
1: frightened. I think a lot of the time they're frightened yeah absolutely you know that they'll have to concede power and and power might equal money it might equal status etc etc um and and they're going to lose ground by by giving way and making way for other people but they this isn't a, a competition we're so obsessed with competition in 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 this country in particular in Everybody's pitted against each other. We start it in the school system. Everybody's pitted against each other. Everyone has to to, to get to this, etc. Um, that 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 is kind of what underpins, I think, some of the fear of. Well, if if that person is going to do is going to do the job, then I won't be able to do that job, etc. Yep. When actually we need to understand and realise. That diversity will absolutely enrich all of society, and you can include capitalism in that because we know that when you know when women are on boards, for example, mm-hmm. companies tend to be more profitable. It's it's not it's not rocket science, mm-hmm. but but we're fed a narrative which perpetuates um, which perpetuates the system that keeps a certain group in power
0: absolutely and you know these power structures you referred to they are very fragile in every way shape and form every monopoly of power is fragile and they will do anything anything gaslighting lying manipulating screenshotting they'll do anything they'll do anything to retain that sort of power structure And, and i've always find it i think you just gotta look at the way you know if you look on social media look how our bame female educators are treated how the perverse level of criticism the. Even, and I'm not even going to say I'm going to say female educators full stop. You know, some of the, the verbal violence that's used towards them, the, the hounding culture that's used towards them. You know, we know them, we've, we've engaged with, uh, with many of them. Some of them are, I consider them as very good friends and allies. And I think it's, again, it's the idea that this is not your place, it's our place. You know, we, we, we want monopoly of power, we want to control what goes on in the agenda. It, it's nothing but narcissism. And to be honest with you, they're very core. Cool. It's actually quite sad. It's actually quite sad they're not willing to to embrace other ideas because ultimately, you know, they they could be part of a real real movement of change, but they want to retain the status quo.
1: Absolutely, and there's room for everyone's ideas. I don't Absolutely. I don't understand this kind of reluctance to, to even consider the ideas uh, of others, especially. I mean, and I know some of, some of those educators that you're talking about. And quite often, the stuff that they're presenting is is evidence based, yes. and yet still, mm. it's torn to pieces. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it is. It's it's astounding, really. Just as, especially on um, platforms such as as Twitter, where yeah. you know it has this kind of this profile of being a, a bit more uh, kind of educated people are on Twitter, etc. Some of us <laughs> some of the people I follow on Twitter, my goodness me. Mm. Their their behaviour is just it's just unacceptable. But it is there for everybody to see and I just
0: I refer to it as general nobbishness.
1: That is a good term. That is a very good descript, description
0: of, of the behaviour what we see. The the, the bombastic haranguing. That's what also referred to it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and
1: the the misogynoir that yes. that exists yes. out there. Yes. My goodness me, it's not enough that that you're picking on on this amazing, talented. This amazing talented woman, because she's a woman, you're, p- you're also picking on her because she's black or she's
0: brown. Absolutely. What on earth? Absolutely, it's so thinly veiled, but we can see to the fragility when they when you're in their dialogue. You know, it's uh, it's scary, isn't it? It's scary. It's uh, a frightening mm. time. You know, I think Twitter adds to social media adds to that sort of culture, doesn't it? Um, Becky, it's been a fantastic chat, but we can't end it here okay? because we've got to talk about music. Music is what unites <laughs> us in the first place. Okay, I'm not sure if you agree on some of my stuff. But what's on your playlist? Enlighten me, please, because I need to like refresh some of my playlist as well. What is on your playlist?
1: You know what? I'm gonna actually just bring up my favorite playlist at the moment. I've made um, a playlist called "Fierce Females." Okay.
0: Have you got to um, Houston in there? I haven't
1: got witness. She's oh not on there. God, that is, You're that, right. Oh, no. She is going on there. I'll tell you that for nothing. And Ashanti. You would
0: to have Ashanti on there. I've got Ashanti, Ashanti on there. Oh, brilliant. Ashanti brilliant. is definitely Ashanti. on there. She's the original queen. Nana Cherry. Yes, she's yes. on there. wicked. Nana Cherry's lovely. Uh,
1: Leanne Lahabas.
0: Yes, yes. Uh,
1: Missy Elliott. Jennifer Lopez.
0: Can't be Missy. Our oh, lo Poor, that's going back.
1: Yeah. Miss Dynamite.
0: Oh, I call soul her sister. Wow, yes. yes yeah, yeah. Amazing. She's amazing.
1: What a talented family they are. Yeah, they
0: are. Uh, they are, absolutely. Inner
1: City, Soul to Soul.
0: I've heard Soul to Soul, yeah, yes. Di- Back to Life. A bit of, yeah. Yes. A bit of Diana Ross. Bit of Oh, Shardy. I love Diana Ross. I'm Coming Out as one of my favourite songs. I love it. It's got a new That's meaning now. Here. It's got a really, really like intricate meaning now, hasn't it? It really has. Yes. Uh,
1: Mary Mary. Oh, yeah, I like Mary Mary. Not bad. SWV, Lauren Hill Lauren Hill, MIA.
0: oh, Lauren Hill do what, whoa, that's going back. Uh-huh. going back TLC, Blue Cantrell Oh, Blue Itty Cantrell, Marie. breathe Oh, we with Sean Paul and TLC Oh, yeah, yeah. no squad. yeah, oh,
1: yes See, I've got it all going on here
0: That's incredible, that's incredible um, And obviously I'll... a bit of Cardi B yeah, Cardi B's okay, oh, uh, yeah, she's okay I'll, gi- I'll give her some, some rest <laughs> I was listening to Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood Mac earlier <gasps> Can't beat a bit of Fleetwood Mac. And then I listened to a bit of Bon Jovi just to wake me up. And then on the way into work, I was listening to, um, oh, no. Yes, Boston, More Than a Feeling. I love that song.
1: Oh, more
0: than a feeling. That's exactly how it goes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh Yeah,
1: Fleetwood Mac, though. Love Fleetwood Mac.
0: Can't go wrong with a bit of Fleetwood Mac. Not at all, no. You um, certainly can. We're going to create a playlist, and then I think you, my, myself, all the guests on this podcast series, like from day one, we're going to create one big playlist where we just merge it all together.
1: Ah, oh, that sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, we'll call it—I don't know—what can we call it? Um, I don't know. I have to think of something creative.
1: Snowflake
0: sounds. Oh, I like that. Sound, <laughs> of the snow, sound of the snowflakes. That could be our band. I used to play. There I used to go. play a banjo back in the day and triangle. I wasn't very good at the triangle. Oh um yeah um yeah that's as bad i used to play a
1: trumpet
0: but that's because i'm from you you know we i'm from yorkshire like, we could do that we could do that you know we could make like a, a band that's a great idea we'll have to get someone on the vocals um i have to think of someone yeah um yeah we, like, we can hire someone can't we yeah <laughs> becky thank you thank you for your time <laughs> thank you very much for your time it's been absolutely incredible speaking to you and to the listeners out there make sure you follow becky i'll leave her um twitter handle in our spotify bio as well make sure you follow this lady she's fighting the good fight she's challenging uh challenging inequalities she's fighting for social justice and you know, it's a wonderful human being and you know just a really really genuine soul so make sure you give her a follow and, uh, across all social uh, social media profiles and platforms as well but yeah honestly you know give this lady a follow she's making moves
1: thank you so much for having me i've really enjoyed it and you know i'm so grateful
0: for social media because i would never have met you otherwise absolutely Let's, it enables us to link and talk to people who would never normally have conversations with and i think i normally go back over my podcast making notes and i think i'll be doing with the same with this one as a resource for my students or something so yeah thank you very much for for your time becky
1: no problem at all thank you
0: brilliant cheers becky thank you take care thank you you too Bye.